Morning. Morning. Not sure how to do this. Everybody sort of congregated over there. Um, years ago, we went to a marriage conference. It had to have been like the worst weekend of our whole lives. So, <laughs> ho- hope that's not true for you guys this weekend. Um, you know, a lot, most of you probably know that Tim's uh, retiring in June, and there's like this website page about it or something. So I clicked on it the other day, and the picture that they have chosen to put up of us was not a good picture. So I was a little frustrated, but not only was it not a good picture, it was a really bad memory because a few years ago, somebody decided that our staff and wives at our church needed to have updated pictures for the website, for the church website. So they sent us all a schedule about um, when we were supposed to show up at the Woolery Stone Mill, have our pictures taken. Well, I don't know why Tim and I both forgot about it. So, are you, Jenna, do you remember this? Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> we forgot. Phone rings, and somebody says, um, you're up next, are you on your way? Well, we are literally getting out of bed. So I grabbed my clothes that were on the floor from the night before, okay, run a brush through my hair, and jump in the car. I mean, no shower, no fresh makeup, nothing. I mean, what a way to start ready, you know, get ready for a photograph. But anyway, I was just like... So, and, and, you know, we're driving in different cars because we'll both head different directions afterwards, whatever. But so I get there thinking Tim's right behind me. And I get there and, and I wait, waiting and waiting. Where is he? And finally, my phone rings and he says, I'm on my way. Well, the obvious question is, where have you been? <laughs> well, as he was pulling out of our driveway, our neighbor was in her front yard. And we have been having kind of an issue about some trees on the border of our properties. And he was like, you know, going to seize the moment she was there. So he stops and talks with her. So by the time he finally got to the Willow Stone Mill, I was so annoyed that I could just barely stand next to him. And I forget if it was Jenna or uh, Katie that was kind of coming going, just relax, just relax, you know, because I'm like. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, yeah, if you go look at that picture, you'll see. Kind of <laughs> so, <laughs> so, oh, thank you. Renee liked the picture. Sweet. Anyway, all that to say, we are not here because we have, you know, achieved this wonderful plateau of, you know, having arrived at the perfect marriage, okay? I think, you know, we figured out last night that we've been married for a long time. Uh, David, and, David and Jill beat us. Jill wanted to make sure we knew. They were a few months ahead of us, okay? <laughs> but um, it's Okay. We've learned a lot. I'm here to share that with you. Um, and even after all these years, for those of you who have read Alexander and the Horrible, Terrible, Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day, some days are just like that, even in Australia. All right? So we are still being sanctified through marriage. Sanctification goes on until we reach heaven. And marriage 
is often the tool that God uses to sanctify us. Because we are all sinners. We have all sinned. We're all being sinned against. Um, And so we're here to be learning to live with our husbands in an understanding way. Right. Um, So I think everybody knows, you know, the old adage that opposites attract. And you've probably discovered many ways in which you and your husband's husband, yeah, husband are opposites. Um, so, you know, sometimes the woman who talks a lot is very attracted to a man who doesn't. Um, they are attracted to each other. It works out because one of them talks a lot and the other one doesn't. He listens. That's fine. Until they've been married for a while and the quiet person uh, gets tired of the other person talking or <laughs> wishes she would just shut up uh, or the chatty spouse realizes, hmm, I barely know my spouse, husband, because they never talk. Um, so, you know, or the, it's sort of the introvert, extrovert thing. Um, the man might ad- originally be drawn to the fact that his wife is the life of the party. It's awesome. Until they've been married for a while, and he doesn't want to go to the party. <laughs> he wants to stay home and can't understand why she's never content to just stay home. So... It's okay, we um, knew a man um, who wrote modern um, music, and his wife loved country music, okay? Just very, very opposites. Um, No, a man who loves to read theology, and his wife barely reads. Or the man who loves to garden, and his wife, let's just say doesn't. Or the man who loves uh, softball or baseball, and his wife just thinks there is nothing more boring than sitting and watching baseball. So anyway, I think we all know opposites attract. Some of us want the temperature high, and the husbands want it low. Windows open, windows closed, whatever. Just we're all different. Um, we got a kick out of uh, Tim was, of course, one of his favorite authors is G.K. Chesterton. So he just came across this uh, quote a couple days ago. He says, this Chesterton, I have always heard from my youth that in America it is possible to get a divorce for incompatibility of temper. In my childhood, I always thought it was a joke, but I thought it even more of a joke when I discovered it was true. If married people are to be divorced for incompatibility of temper, I cannot imagine why all married people are not divorced. So Tim was reading this aloud to me. And he just got the giggles. He, he just couldn't stop laughing. Well, then I'm laughing because he's laughing, and I'm laughing at him, and he couldn't even finish, you know, the next words. So we're just, I mean, it doesn't sound that funny now, but we were just, <laughs> we were practically in hysterics. Anyway, um, any man and any woman Woman must have incompatible tempers. It is the definition of sex. It is the whole point of being married. Nay, it is the whole fun of it being engaged. You do not fall in love with a compatible person. You do not love someone exactly like yourself. I am prepared to bet that no two people were ever ever betrothed for a week without discovering they suffered from incompatibility of temper. As long as marriage is founded on a good, solid incompatibility, that marriage has a fair chance of continuing to be a happy marriage and even a romance. So, <laughs> is it funny? <laughs> Someone said, 
as long as lovers can quarrel, they are still lovers. So with that in mind, um, we are all sinners, men and women are incompatible, so where do we go from here? Is it even possible to have a good marriage? So our goal this weekend is to give you hope and hopefully be helpful to you and your marriages, um, just share a lot of the things that we've learned. We want to give you the long view. When we had been married for less than a year and we were in a small group of couples in our church and some of them had been married for five years. (laughs) (laughs) To us that seemed really long. But now I'm talking about long. Okay, we want to give you the long view. Um, And to encourage you to know that it is worth it to hang in there, and to remind you, uh, as Tim emphasized last night, that God ordained marriage. Uh, He uses it to reflect the relationship of Christ and his bride, the church, which is a mystery, I will add, because I never quite understand that. So it's okay, because scripture even says it's a mystery. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, um, and a lot of what we really want to do in our lives and in our marriages, ultimately what we want is to glorify God. So we're not just here to figure out how to make ourselves happier, how to make our husbands happier, how to have a happier marriage. We are here to glorify God, and to work on our marriages does glorify Him. So... um, So God not only ordained marriage, he chose your husband for you, for better or for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. And you may not want to hear or think about that, so I'm going to repeat that phrase. God chose and preordained your husband for you. All right? So if you are thinking, and we've talked to people who think their marriage was a mistake, okay? Just stop. If that's what you think, stop. Your marriage is not a mistake. God preordained it. He chose your husband for you. You cannot look back. This is the time to look forward, figure out how to make things better. And it does take work. Um, and you may wish that you were still single or that you could get a divorce, but you can't. You are married. Um, And in fact, it's interesting, every study um, on marriage indicates that married people are happier than single people, divorced people, widows, widowers, separated or divorced, okay? Married people always rate higher on skills of happiness. So, there you go. Be happy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I have two dear friends who lost their husbands last year. Many of you also know Eleanor uh, and Susie. Eleanor and Joe Rice were married for 57 years, and Charlie and Susie, Doug Dale, were married for 50 years. And I know um, some of the struggles that they had in their marriages. No one is pretending that they lived, you know, year after year of wedded bliss. Um, But we do want to run the race well, Um, And we do not know when that race will end. Um, As with Dawn Spady and Eleanor, the end came very quickly, suddenly, without warning. And there was not time for last words. So, and Tim was talking about that a little bit last night, too. You know, that after the death of our spouse, we do not want to have these memories of 
having, you know, nitpicked at him um, all the time. So we don't know when it will be. We want to ra- run this race well and end well. Um, so we're going to be looking at some basic biblical truths um, and then some practical advice uh, because we want to be helpful because it's called the Helpful Marriage Conference. So here we are. Um, God gave uh, Eve to Adam to be his helpmate, to be his helper. And um, so that needs to be our goal to figure out how to help our husbands and what is going to be helpful to one husband is not going to be helpful to another husband. They're not all the same. Um, each one of us is unique. Our husbands are unique. Therefore, obviously, each marriage is unique and different from the next. And so we can't, um, you know, there's no silver bullet. There's no quick fixes. Um, there's no just equations to, you know, plug our lives into. And if we do this, this, and this, we're going to have a happy marriage. Um, it just doesn't work that way. And every, every single one of our marriages is going to look different. Um, but I want to start with talking about contentment um, or lack thereof. Um, Paul, the apostle, writes this from prison. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in, every, in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Um, most of the women in our church are um, reading the uh, rare jewel of Christian contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs for our Bible studies. And in that book, um, he defines contentment as that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal of every condition. In other words, contentment comes from trusting our Heavenly Father and submitting to whatever circumstances He has put us in. So you may um, be discontent and you may feel so sort of justified in living in that space for so long that you don't even recognize it as discontentment. Um, or bitterness. And it's true that a lot of the things that we can find ourselves being discontent about are not bad things in themselves. Um, you may just, you know, be living in an apartment and long to get into your own home. Um, you may have a house, but you want a bigger house for your growing family. Maybe you want a baby. Maybe you want good health. Maybe you want a more godly husband who will lead family devotions. So these are all basically legitimate desires, but they can become idols. And when they become idols, and we're too focused on them, then um, we find ourselves being discontent and then becoming bitter. Um, So instead, we need to focus on learning to be content, trusting God, and being thankful. You know, you may be generally happy with 75% of your husband, you know, who your husband is and your relationship, but... There are still things that drive you crazy, um, that he doesn't help more around the house, you wish he would spend more time with the children, you don't like the way he dresses, or eats, or drives, or how long it takes him to get ready to go somewhere, or the fact that he sits in the car and honks for you when you're getting ready to go somewhere. There's just all kinds of things. Um, But we need to... Focus on the things that we do like, because if you start to focus on that 25% of the things that you don't like, then interesting thing happens, that 25% begins to grow. 
it becomes 35% and then 45%. So as you become more and more discontent, the discontentment grows. So we need to stop doing that, but how do you stop? Um, You start by praying about it. Um, Tell the Lord you don't want to be discontent and that you want to grow in contentment. And one of the ways that you need to start doing that is by thanking God for your husband. List the things that you do appreciate about him. And that list might start out pretty small. Um, But it might help you as you make this list to go back and think about the things that attracted you you to him in the first place. Um, And even, I'm, I'm sure some of you have had this experience, you hear a song that was like one of the songs that you know, was popular when you were dating and it can kind of throw you back into those days and those feelings. So if it will help you in your creating a list of things you like about your husband, find some of that music, listen to it. Um, And then keep the list and you can add to it. And I think as you are beginning to grow in contentment, you will find more things to add to the list. Um, Ask the Lord to help you in your effort, but do not then sit back and just kind of wait for this miracle thing to happen because it is a discipline. And I'm not going to say that God doesn't sometimes really do do that, like, you know, really do a miracle in somebody's heart. We have seen that, but generally, um, if you are going to be growing in contentment, it's a discipline that you need to be, um, it's a muscle that you need to be um, exercising. So, yeah, because even Paul said he, was, he had learned. He didn't just say, I was content. Um, he also says he can, we, we do all things through Christ. So we need to go to Christ in this process and in our effort to grow. Um, you also um, need to take every thought captive. And if you find yourself uh, daydreaming about being married to someone else, or thinking about old boyfriends, um, just stop. Just, just stop. <laughs> Take these thoughts captive. Turn off that channel. Um, listen to um, My Soul Among Lions. Read the Bible. Uh, memorize. Um, and just then emphasize and focus on the things that you are thankful for and learn to be grateful. Um, I just think that is the, the biggest step toward learning to be content is just starting with gratitude. Um, and, you know, usually we always say, and I'm going to say this a little bit more in the future, but, you know, we do not want to compare ourselves, our marriages to others. But sometimes when you are discontent, it is helpful to think of somebody less fortunate than yourself. Okay. So like right now we can think about all these Ukrainians who are fleeing their country, um, leaving homes and family members behind. And we have a lot to be thankful for. Um, But yes, in talking about comparisons, it is also really helpful to just get off Facebook. Okay? There's probably nothing that contributes more to discontentment than Facebook. Um, In the news, all the time, there are um, articles about teens who are, you know, all the insecurities, you know, that come out because they're on Facebook or whatever social media, and the suicide rates go up. But here, you know, we as married women uh, think that we are above that. Um, But no, we're not. 
we are affected constantly by uh, the things that we're seeing, and a lot of it is on social media. We used to laugh at Christmas letters where all the women are strong, the men are, yeah, the women are strong, the men are good looking, and the children are above average, okay? (laughs) But now, we can see those things every day. It's not just the annual Christmas letter that you're going to read that somebody sends, where you just kind of you kind of roll your eyes. But now we get to see things like that every day on Facebook. Of course, there is a natural tendency for people to um, put their best foot forward, take the best picture, um, make their family, their marriage, and their um, themselves, their kids, um, you know, present them in the best light. Um, but so now every day we get to think. How did we get to be such losers? <laughs> so, uh, um, if you see the pictures on Facebook of the couple who are, you know, at the restaurant for their anniversary dinner, and she's looking adoringly at her husband, it's just like, you know, <laughs> seriously, do not even believe it, because I have talked to women. That, you know, I've seen that post, but I literally have talked to them that week and know how horrible their marriage is, okay? So don't get duped by all these pictures of ridiculousness. So, anyway, in uh, Romans 12.1, Paul tells us, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies up as a living sacrifice. So, moving on from contentment, we're going to talk about um, living a life Um, of sacrifice, which is holy and pleasing to God. And that is true and proper worship. So assuming that we want to be holy and pleasing to our Heavenly Father, um, what in the world does it look like to offer our body as a living sacrifice? And I hate to break it to you, but it probably means a lot of doing dishes, a lot of laundry, a lot of changing diapers. Okay? in Luke 9.23, Jesus gives us another difficult truth when he tells his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must de- deny himself and take up... Okay, I changed it to herself. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny herself and take up her cross to daily, to daily uh, follow him. So we are to offer up our bodies. We are to take up our cross. Um, which means that often, and usually it just means leaving behind our own goals, plans, desires, okay? And then just submit ourselves to what it is that our Heavenly Father uh, wants for us, plans for us. Um, His desire is that we follow His example and serve others. John 15, 11 to 13, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his brother. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And it's hard for us to um, wrap our minds around um, that it is going to bring us joy to lay down our lives uh, for our husbands and our children, um, because what we want is to lay down our lives somewhere else that is way more noticeable. Okay? <laughs> it's like, who wants to do it in your home where no one can see you? You know, we, we want to be out there. 
uh, where people can, wow, you know, see what we're doing. Um, but no, usually it really is the way that we serve our own families in our own homes. So if you are here, it is because you are married and you are a wife. You may not have children yet, or your children might be out of the home. Um, but you may, um, and you may not have been given children by God, but your place of service, we are told, and it is true and proper worship is to serve in our homes through hospitality, which is a big one, um, honoring our husbands, and caring for our children, which some of these lovely ladies are doing as we speak. Very sweet. Um, So as wives and mothers, most of us are familiar uh, with this kind of service because we really are serving constantly in the home. Um, But I know that you all know you can work all day at home serving, serving, serving. Um, But if you are doing it in bitterness and resentment, it is not going to bring you joy. It's not going to bring joy to your family. And it is not true and proper worship. Okay. So just the fact of serving does not make it proper if it's being done in bitterness, which is not uncommon, of course. Um, I read a book years ago called The Five Love Languages, How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. Anybody else? How many of you have read that? Okay. A few of you. Um, And I'm just going to talk a little bit about it because I found it very, very helpful. Um, and that's what I want to do, share all the helpful things I've learned. It's, you know, I think it's, um, it's kind of corny sounding now, you know, the five love languages and learn your husband's love language. Um, but honestly, it can be very helpful. The premise is this, that there are different ways to communicate love. And you are uh, most likely married to a man who does not communicate or receive love in the same way that you do. Um, so we need to study our own husbands and figure out what it is that helps them to feel loved. Um, So it's kind of, you know, learn his love language. Um, And when I read the book, the one example that just stuck with me um, was a police officer who came home from a very difficult and grueling day, like maybe, you know, he was dealing with a murder or something, just a horrible day. Gets home, he's telling his wife about it, and... She rushes off to the kitchen and makes this big meal. And he was like so irritated with her because what he wanted was for her to sit down on the couch with him and listen to, you know, about his day and sympathize with him. But she was off making this big meal thinking that she was doing the right thing. Okay. Because her love language is acts of service, so she's going to, you know, go do something, serve him. Um, His love language was, you know, probably um, quality time. You know, he just wanted her to sit down. So that's why I just think that example really jumped out at me and just kind of helps understand, you know, what are these different ways of expressing love. So the uh, five things are acts of service, quality time, receiving gifts, words of affirmation, and physical touch. And Michael says he forgot the one about food. There's a sixth love language, food. (laughs) And Hannah says sex is in all of them. (laughs) So, um, but back to just sort of different love languages. Um, Probably you've all seen Fiddler on the Roof and are familiar with the song that Tevye sings to Golda. Um, do you love me? 
And so it was like, do you love me? Anyway, so she says, for 25 years, I washed your clothes, cooked your meals, cleaned your house, given you children, milked the cow. After 25 years, why talk about love now? And he responds, but do you love me? Okay, so she's been doing, you know, serving, 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 doing all this stuff for 25 years, thinking that, of course, it's obvious that she loves him. Obviously, it's not obvious because he's still asking 25 years later, but do you love me? Um, And so I think that's why um, we need to sort of grasp this concept. Uh, In the book, uh, Dr. Chapman tells about a man whom he asked, do you feel loved by your wife? And he says, oh, I've always felt loved by her. She's the best housekeeper in the world. She's an excellent cook. She keeps my clothes washed and ironed. She's wonderful about doing things with the children. I know she loves me. So, um, you know, the opposite of Tevya, he did feel loved by his wife's um, serving him. But I think that's not often true because those of us who are stay-at-home moms and are doing these things kind of all day long naturally um, anyway, it may not be coming across to your husband that that is any show of love for him. Um, So if your love language is... um, acts of service, then you would really want to be thinking of other ways to serve him other than just the normal stuff that you're doing at home all day anyway. I mean, like literally just put gas in his car, um, take his car to the car wash, clean the garage, maybe not. (laughs) I know somebody who literally, whose husband is irate uh, when she messed up, you know, his stuff in the garage, so might proceed with caution. But... (laughs) Um, but his, um, his love language might be words of affirmation. So while you're running around, you know, doing all this stuff at home, thinking that you're, you know, expressing your love, um, he wants more than anything um, to just hear from you words of affirmation. Um, and it might be that his uh, love language is quality time. You know, so like that police officer, the end of his day, he really wants you to just be listening to him, okay, and finding out what, about his day. Um, so, I, and I, you know, it, it's, everybody's a mix of all of them to some degree. You know, when I, the very first time I looked at that list and was like, okay, Tim likes this. Yep, he likes that. Yep, he likes that. You know, but the more you kind of think about it, uh, and your husband, one of them probably will rise to the top. Um, and then you can draw in all of them, but anyway. So, um, but you have to start by studying him and figuring out what it is. And if you really can't quite wrap your mind around it, you're in such a rut and routine with your lives, it's just like, I don't know. Um, But you can think back again to the days that you were dating um, and things were a little more romantic and think about what was it that he liked then. You know, did he like going places, sitting in restaurants, talking, uh, holding hands? You know, is it physical touch or is it talking or, you know, whatever. Just, you can Google um, the whole thing. You don't have to read the whole book. You can Google it, and I'm sure there's kind of synopsises of um, the book and all these different languages online, which, again, just can be helpful. Um, Words of affirmation. I think, unfortunately, for a lot of us, it's easier to use our tongues uh, to tear people down, tear husbands down, be negative, be critical. Um, and so we need to stop and realign you know, our thinking and actually verbalize the things about him that we do appreciate. You know, thank you for getting the babysitter lined up for tonight. I really appreciate it when you take out the garbage 
thank you for taking care of the bills. You know, whatever it is, and you may think, you know, that's, that's just what he does. This is a normal thing. You know, what would be the point of, you can't even think of the things to thank him for because he just does them so routinely. But it was interesting. We also need to be teaching gratitude to our kids, okay? I did carpool in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago, and um, the kids that were jumping out of the car just, you know, grabbed their backpacks, jumped out of the car, slammed the door, and I'm thinking, hmm, how about a thank you? You know, so then, um, so then I was telling the kids that were left in the car, you know, now listen, I don't care if somebody takes you to school every day, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> But really, and I actually remember having the same conversation with Taylor when he was in, you know, elementary school or something. He's like, you know, I hope that you thank everybody when they, you know, drop you off at school. And he's like, why? You know, they take me every day. (laughs) I know. So thank you every day. Okay. So we need to be teaching our kids um, gratitude, uh, not just ourselves about our husbands. Um, Quality time, uh, maybe the thing is that you just need to be sitting, um, you know, might even be watching football, sorry to tell you, but uh, <laughs> basketball, whatever it is that your husband loves and you hate, maybe just sitting next to him on the couch. And even if your eyes are glazed over, you know, they're just kind of, <laughs> okay, I'll admit. Um, but it might just be really um, sharing more in conversation. This is a little bit of a side note, but because I think as women, primarily, most of us really do wish for more conversation. And when I was in college, a friend of mine was um, a waitress, and she said, you can always tell the people who are in the, in the restaurant who are married, because they're not talking. And I was like, oh, man, that'll never be me. I'm going to, you know, whatever. Well, yeah, then you get married and you live together and, you know, there isn't just nonstop talk. (laughs) You can sit in a restaurant and look at each other. You know, it's like, hmm. Uh, So, but to some degree, you know, we have to be okay with that too. You know, we, and it is something you can work on too. You can try to draw your husband out when if he's not going to be a natural, you know, communicator. Um, And I just think in general, men are not as responsive verbally. Um, there's a Brian Regan skit. I don't know if any of you have heard it, but some very good friends of theirs got divorced. They hear that he's dating. I think I've got this right. Anyway, so Brian Regan goes and plays golf with his buddy, comes home. His wife says, so, how's he doing? Fine. So how's that new relationship he's in? I don't know. You just spent five hours with him playing golf. And he says, yeah, it didn't come up. <laughs> so and if, so if, if this is what, you know, people use in humor, it's because it's true. Okay. So not too long ago, Tim and I are driving somewhere. I'm telling him something. There's no response. And I say, so this would be a good time for you to say, Huh. So he said, huh. <laughs> so, so, you know, several times since then, you know, we've, we've run through that again. He'll just say, huh, you know. But we can both laugh. You know, you can bring some humor into life. You don't have to just be always irritated with, 
him or his lack of response. Okay, learn to lighten it up a little. Um, so, with all that, I lost my, con- my place. Um, so, again, if communication is more his thing, then don't shut it down. Okay, if your husband really does want to talk to you, stop doing what you're doing and listen to him. Okay, um, and these are just rules for all of us. Give him eye contact. And it not only helps you stay focused and keeps your mind from wandering, it lets him know that you have that he has your full attention. Um, don't try to multitask. We are great at multitasking. Um, but if your husband wants to talk to you, don't keep doing the dishes and just think, it's okay, I can hear him. Just stop. Um, go in, look at him, listen to him. And you know, I think we can relate to that better if we think, do we like to talk to our husbands if their eye is on their laptop or their eye is on the TV and they're like, yeah, I can hear you. No, we don't want that. So don't do the same thing to them. Don't keep doing whatever you're doing, thinking, it's okay, I can hear you. Um, So, um, and I think, you know, we have so much that we have to be doing during the day um, that we just, you know, basically fall into bed exhausted every night and we're still only half done with what we wanted to do. But we need to stop, you know, thinking those thoughts and just figure out a different way to live your life um, and improve uh, the relationship. So, again, you can kind of get online and find out about the love languages, which I think is helpful. Um, So I know that the days go by very slowly uh, when you're at home with small children. But as Tim said last night, um, actually by this time in our lives we can say, whoa, they flew by, okay? Um, and that does happen. So I was thinking about my mom because she had 10 kids and they were all born in 14 years. So I was doing some quick math to um, realize that my parents basically spent 30 years with kids in the home, okay? Because you feel like this is you know, going to go on forever, but it doesn't. Um, but so 30, 30 years they had kids in the home and for 30 years they were alone with the empty nest, okay? And then 15 more years, my mom was a widow, and she died at 100. Um, So all that to say that even if you're exhausted and you've got all these kids and it's very, very busy, you cannot put your marriage on the back burner and just live live life and all of its demands every day. You have to keep your marriage as a priority. And Tim has often said that marriage is the rich black soil that children thrive in. So if your marriage is being neglected, um, your children are not going to thrive. You bring the marriage back up to the front burner because that's what you're going to have left when the kids leave the home. Um, So after all this stuff about, you know, you're learning your husband's love language, you might be thinking, well, what about me? My husband needs to learn my love language too. Um, You know, which is true. It's helpful for you to um, sort of narrow down and understand your own love language. And, you know, you might, you know, want to be sharing that with him because that can also be helpful if you do it carefully. Um, But um, I can almost guarantee, though, that if you focus on your husband and what his love language is and learning to communicate love to him, your marriage will improve and he will be more open to learning your love language and responding uh, the way that you want him to. Um, 
There was an article that I read um, several years ago called What Every Bride Should Know. So I'm going to read something from that because, again, found it very helpful. The author says, there is one rather common wifely trait that drives me crazy and probably contributes its might to the divorce statistics. Many very gentle and peace-loving women so shrink from quarrels and anger that they try to soften a dispute by blaming it on their husbands. If your husband is annoyed about the attitude or actions of some third party, please don't say, I'm sure Joe didn't mean that. You probably said something to make him mad. Even if you think it might be partly his fault, try to say, how awful for you. I wonder why he said that. You've always gotten along so well before. If your husband feels that you sympathize with him, he'll be more likely to address the matter calmly than if you take the other person's side against him. So I don't know if anybody else here can relate to that, but I cannot tell you how many years I was always, you know, trying to point out to Tim, you know, what the situation really, you know, must have been and how he probably was really in the wrong. Um, it's not helpful. It doesn't, it doesn't go anywhere. Believe me. I learned. So... <laughs> Uh, one of the other things, though, is um, when he is talking to you, don't be interrupting. And this is interesting. There's a statistic that a study showed that um, the average person listens for only 17 seconds before interrupting to insert their own ideas. So if you find yourself, you know, wanting to interrupt and whatever, redirect the conversation or correct him or whatever, you know, just bite your tongue. Um, and especially if there is some tension in your relationship and he's going on about it, um, it's just not helpful to try to defend yourself. Just, you know, hear it out um, and maybe readdress it at some other time because in the moment to try to defend yourself is counterproductive. Um, there was another one about receiving gifts that I um, hadn't mentioned, but that one... We had sort of a funny story about two of our friends, Kenneth and Melanie, years and years ago. I think his, um, usually if you're doing something, it's because that's what you like. So he was bringing her gifts. Um, so I think his love language was gifts. He would have loved for her to buy him gifts, which I'm sure she never did, because they were living on a very tight budget. Anyway, he brought home flowers for her, and she was irritated with him for spending the money that they didn't have on flowers for this gift. But anyway, so she's putting them in something. She couldn't find a vase, so she, you know, sticks them in a jar. So the next day he comes home with a lovely vase for her to put the flowers in. Well, that was even more annoying. So when the flowers died, she returned to the vase, okay? And a couple of weeks later, when he brought her flowers, she did not have a vase. (laughs) Yikes. Um, Anyway. So, um, let me see. Yeah, so if your husband's, you know, if he loves getting gifts, then it really isn't the expense that is important. It doesn't have to be um, an expensive thing that you're going to give me. And you don't wait for special occasions. You don't just wait until his birthday or Christmas. If his love language is, you know, gifts, then you can just make something. You can give him little things, you know, throughout the weeks, not, you know, all this big thing um, that you're waiting for. Um, So um, I think that we really need to talk about sex. Um, 
because it is designed by God to produce a godly seed, but also for companionship and intimacy. And it is not just a physical act. It comes from and produces emotional intimacy. So it's kind of like a perpetual motion machine, okay? Physical intimacy leads to emotional intimacy, and emotional intimacy leads to physical intimacy, which is why we do not like dating couples to be too close emotionally. Emotional intimacy too much before you're married is not good because it is leading to physical intimacy. Um, Now, women generally want more emotional intimacy and men generally want more sex. Um, But as I said, they are not opposed to each other. They work together. Um, One leads to the other. So, and you might be, you know, just thinking, not in my marriage. Um, And I know, you know, the sexual relationship is just can be fraught with difficulties. And so last year... At our church, we had a whole evening set aside for the women, and there were questions and answers about sex. We called it physical intimacy. Um, and, there, and that whole um, evening was taped and is posted. It's online, and I can't tell you right now how to find it. Michael might be able to. Um, but one of the questions that was asked was kind of, what about me? Um, So I'm just going to read the question because I really know that a lot of you here can relate to it. She says, do emotions have any place in physical intimacy in a Christian marriage? If a marriage is seriously lacking in emotional intimacy, how is a godly wife to proceed with physical intimacy? For instance, if a discussion earlier in the day ends with the wife obviously crying and the husband says nothing more of it and then wants sex, is the Christian wife just to do her duty? Past teachings on 1 Corinthians 7, 3 to 5, seem to say yes. How is the godly wife to guard her heart against bitterness toward her husband and God when it seems that all the husband's happiness, um, that the husband's happiness is all that really matters when it comes to intimacy in marriage? End of question. Um, so first, to satisfy the wives, um, the wives here who resonate with that question, let me just say, Scripture does not just tell the wife to do her duty. Um, so beyond this, obviously, it's, you know, there's a lot of complicating uh, issues. But the answer um, that was written by a wise woman in our church was this. I think maybe this is the wrong question to begin with. Just as you point out that emotional intimacy is for men too, physical intimacy is for women too. In a bad marriage, we think that emotional intimacy is for women and physical intimacy is for men. But perhaps if sex is not enjoyable for the woman, it is because sex is done in a selfish, self-fulfilling way. And she hasn't learned how to participate or tried to teach him how to pleasure her. Flip it around. And perhaps the same thing is true for the man. Perhaps he doesn't enjoy her attempts at emotional connection because they are made in a selfish, self-seeking way, and he hasn't bothered to teach her what he needs. I would like to encourage our women to ask this question differently because the question itself approaches the issue with a false idea that sex is for men and love is for women, and that the choice we're faced with is either refusing sex when we're running into everyday speed bumps Uh, in the relationship or promoting bitterness as a wife. One more thing we need to drill into everybody's head when it comes to sex. Practice makes perfect. 
Good sex with your husband is a skill that is learned over years of practice, and you both get better with it, um, over time, and it actually gets better and more fun. So that was the end of that um, question and answer, but I just think, um, again, kind of can rejigger the way that we often think. And unfortunately, sex is the aspect of marriage that is often the most difficult, the most broken, and the hardest to talk about. But if we want to improve our marriages, it does have to be addressed. There are several things that can make sex difficult. Physical issues certainly add to the complication, but childhood abuse, sinful previous relationships, um, guilt over having been physically intimate with your husband before you were married, um, are all things that can add to the difficulty um, of our current sexual relationship with our husband. But I want to um, start by addressing um, some of the problems, one of them being physical. Uh, sex is not meant to be painful, okay? So if you are experiencing sex as a painful, um, unwelcome thing, you actually need to see a doctor because that is not the way it is meant to be. It is very embarrassing to talk about, but I can recommend a female uh, gynecologist in Bloomington that is a lovely uh, woman who is warm, easy to talk to, as well as being in a phys- an excellent physician. Um, so that is something that really does need to be addressed. On the other hand, it may just be something your husband is doing that's causing pain, um, emotionally or physically, and you might need to explain that to him. Things are not going to change unless you are willing to talk. And it may be just the way that he touches you uh, triggers bad memories. It might just be annoying. So we have to be willing to um, talk about these things because that will be helping him. Okay, We want to be helpful to him. We need to be able to talk. So, And it may be that you find it's so difficult and emotional to talk about these things that it would be easier for you to write them down. Um, and that is also true in other parts of our relationship and other issues of um, conflict, that sometimes it's just helpful to stop having all of the emotional back and forth and just write down uh, what you're thinking. And it can be helpful because you slow down, you take your time, you carefully choose your words, um, and you can say encouraging things um, and loving things in the letter also, and not just blah, 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 blah. Um, so think about that. If you, if you just cannot make yourself um, say what you know needs to be said, then think about starting to write it down and, and it'll take your time and let it, let it flow. Um, and there is uh, always more than one way to say something, and so you want to avoid the pitfalls because um, words are very um, meaningful and and emotionally charged, so be careful. Because as you are trying to explain things to your husband, you might find yourself whining, um, being accusatory toward him, expressing discontent and bitterness um, over his failures and inadequacies, um, which is going to defeat your whole purpose. Whether it's you know verbally or writing, you need to be very careful um, how you approach it. There is a book um, called Sex Begins in the Kitchen. Anybody seen, heard that. It's really old. It's been around for a long time. See, Marianne. (laughs) She's been around longer than some of you. (laughs) Um, Kevin Lehman, um, same guy who wrote Birth Order Book, which is also a fun read. Um, But anyway, so the point being 
that sex isn't just something that at the end of the day, boom, you know, time to jump into bed and have sex. Um, that it's, you know, you're kind of building up to it during the day and the evening. You know, as women, we want our husbands to, you know, be helping do something, you know, help with the dishes, help with the kids, do something to express his love for us, and that's really going to help um, prime our pump. Um, but we also then need to, again, flip it and think about how we can be doing things during the day and during the evening to express our love um, toward him. And so you might um, want to try to get a nap um, during the day um, or just pace yourself so that you save some energy for your husband and for your marriage because falling into bed exhausted every night is not, not good for anything. Um, Work on getting the kids to bed earlier so that you can have a little more time to relax in the evening. Um, Taking a bath can help you relax and feel very refreshed um, and helps you just prepare mentally uh, for being physically intimate. So um, there are, of course, seasons of life, and a lot of you are in the middle of these, one of these seasons being pregnancy and childbirth. So I think basically um, having sex later in the, you know, late months of pregnancy is still okay, all right? Um, Might have to be a little more creative. After the baby is born, I think it's, you know, the general understanding is there needs, you should be about six weeks before you're um, physically intimate again, but there are other ways to be intimate and to show your love and meet your needs, um, each other's needs. There's also the um, season of monthly. Um, Somebody asked me once if it's okay to have sex during your monthly cycle because in the Old Testament it is forbidden. But that is part of the ceremonial law and there isn't any other part of the ceremonial law we follow. So we do not need to follow the ceremonial law about not having intercourse during your monthly cycle. But um, there are just some practical and personal reasons you might want to avoid that. Of course, you know, the days of your heaviest flow you're not going to want to have it. You might just, you know, have a couple days where you just feel really lousy, um, and you will probably not be having sex, being physically intimate during those days either. But again, you just need to uh, work on whatever works for you um, and not try to figure out equations. Um, so another uh, few more hints is um, do not let your bedroom become the catch-all. You're just like, you're not sure where to put stuff, throw it in your bedroom, okay? I've seen some bedrooms that are pretty trashed. Um, but you cannot relax in a bedroom that is cluttered with unfolded laundry, okay? If you can't get the laundry folded, put it somewhere else. You know, put it on the floor of the laundry room or something, but don't put it in your bedroom because you cannot go to bed in the evening and relax with all this stuff around you that needs to be done. Your bedroom should be a refuge uh, for you and your husband, a place that you... I don't know, just your face. <laughs> um, your bedroom should be a place that you enjoy being in. So you're going to have a refuge for you and your husband to retreat to um, at the end of the day. Keep your sheets clean. Okay? These seem a little obvious. But change them every week. 
Okay. I had actually put in here. Now I've we've I've changed our sheets every week for years and years, and I have a feeling it was probably because Tim asked me to at the very beginning of our marriage. I don't know, but I've just done it for so many years. But I was trying to you know kind of be more maybe practical, so I put in here um, change your sheets at least every other week, every week preferably. And when he read this, he was like, "Oh, every week." <laughs> so there you have it. Change your sheets every week, ladies. Um, and have some nice lingerie, okay? Now, if your husband thinks it's sexy for you to wear his T-shirt, by all means, wear his T-shirt, okay? But if he has bought you something sexy and it just makes you feel awkward and uncomfortable, wear it anyway, okay? He bought it for you. That's what he wants to see you in. So just wear it. Um, candles and music, Great, not necessary, okay? Occasionally, it's a sweet extra touch. Um, But don't get hung up on thinking that everything has to be, you know, romantic and perfect, you know, with the the perfect music and the, you know, candles. Um, Because in the same way that our meals, our food, is there's just all different kinds. You know, sometimes it's a lovely steak dinner by candlelight with all the, you know, trimmings. And sometimes we're eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, okay? And so the same thing with sex. Sometimes you've got the time, the inclination to, you know, have the candles lit and everything is perfect. Um, other times it's a quickie, okay? That's okay. <laughs> um, so if you and your husband are rarely having sex, this is not acceptable. If it has become the status quo and you're both fine with that, it is not good. If you have rejected him enough times that he has stopped trying, you need to do better. And you need to begin to initiate. On the other hand, I know that there are those of you who would be happy to have more sex than your husband. Your husband is the one who is not interested. And unfortunately, this has become more and more common through the years as pornography has become more and more available. Um, So if this is the problem in your marriage, you need to talk to your husband. I know one woman who did that very recently explaining to her husband that every time he rejects her advances, she takes it as him rejecting her. And I'm sure he would say, no, no, it's not that. It's the pressures of work. And, you know, they're just so heavy right now and I'm just too tired. But again, flip it around for a minute and think about um, for those of you who are rejecting your husband's advances with excuses like that, you can be sure that he also sees it as rejection of him, even if you're thinking, no, no, I'm just too tired. It was just too busy of a day with the kids. Um, So, again, though, if you um, find that your husband is not um, as interested in sex, then, and you've talked to him, and he's not willing to talk about it, you might need to go to a, a pastor or elder and talk to him about what's happening in your uh, marriage, okay? And especially if you're assuming it is pornography, and then that's a good, what your husband does not want to, um, is not willing to have that confronted, um, you will have to talk to somebody else. Um, 1 Corinthians 7, 2 to 5, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. 
The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband in the same way. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, very interesting. You have authority over your husband's body, and he is to fulfill your needs. This is an extremely mutual um, passage here. Um, is not just telling us as wives to meet our husband's needs. And it's not making women into victims, you know, saying that you just need to do this. Um, We need to realign our thinking. And if your relationship, your marriage needs help, then be willing to go get it. Talk to somebody. Um, And in our church, we have programs for men and women um, who are dealing with pornography because... Again, as the years have gone by and pornography has become so um, prevalent, one-third of pornography use is by women. We always like to think of that. This is just a man's problem. But it is a big problem for women. And girls, teenagers, not only teenage boys, but teenage girls get caught um, in that actual addiction. So we have um, some programs in our church for men and women who are dealing with this. Um, I know it is often a common question that I just think we naturally have. It's like, okay, so how often is okay? What's good? What's normal? Uh, How often should we be having sex? So I am here to tell you that two or three times a week for the average healthy couple is good and normal. That's every other night. Um, There are um, reasons why sometimes it's not going to be that often. Sometimes it's going to be more often. As you get older, it will become less often, but I am not talking once a month, okay? Good sex reflects a good marriage, or good marriage is reflected in good sex. Um, There's a book that I think is even on the table is intended for pleasure out there. Okay, Danny's saying no and Hannah's saying yes. (laughs) Intended for pleasure is not out there? Okay, well, intended for pleasure is a book that's been around forever. You guys familiar with it? Um, and again, it's just very helpful. <laughs> it's just a lot of information in there about your body, how it works, your husband's body, how it works, how coming together works, why it works. Um, it's just, you know, how to have pleasurable sex. Um, there are a lot of other Christian books out there uh, written for the same goal. And so if you need help in this area... Um, start reading. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, because intimacy in our marriages is worth improving. Um, one of the more horrifying verses um, in Proverbs, I think, is the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman tears down her house with her own hands. And none of us wants to be that foolish woman. So if you do not even recognize that you might be tearing down your own house with your own hands... You need to, um, you know, evaluate your life and think about that. Often one of the ways that we most commonly do this is with our tongue. And, the, you know, James tells us that tongue is very small, sets big fires, like a, like a spark. Um, Proverbs 14.1, it's better to live in a corner of a roof 
than share a house with a quarrelsome wife, Proverbs 27:15. Constant dripping on a day of steady rain and a contentious woman are alike. And we do not want to be compared to leaky faucets or quarrelsome wives. Um, and these verses are there for someone, okay? If none of us are going to cop to it, who are they written for? So we really need to stop and think, is that me? Um, and a lot of times I don't think we even realize it is us. And it doesn't even have to be words that we're using to be um, showing dis- being dishonorable to our husbands, showing disrespect. If you are rolling your eyes, even mentally, okay, when he's talking to you, he doesn't have to be able to see the eyes roll. But if you're doing it inside, being very dismissive of what he is saying, you are tearing down your house. Um, Especially true if children are present and they can see how you respond to your husband. Um, And again, you do not need to um, be responding verbally for them to know that you are rolling your eyes. Sometimes it's just raise your eyebrow. Sometimes it's just that hard look that comes across your face when your husband's talking to you. Um, So whether you are speaking to your husband or your children, listen to yourself. If you find yourself whining, complaining, arguing, stop. Okay. Let's be the women who gird themselves in strength. Strength and dignity are her clothing. It is not dignified to be a dripping faucet. Don't tear your hands down, your house down with your own hands. Um, I've had a friend who was um, regularly sharing things about her husband in a Bible study. And she... It was really not good. I found myself really disliking her husband, and I was sure other women in the room were feeling the same way toward her husband. So I finally told her um, that she really needed to stop sharing these things about her husband in Bible study. Um, Because I had actually learned this years before. I'm not a quick learner, but this one I learned. My sister called me once, and Tim and I had just had this big fight. So I just was very happy to share with her what a jerk I was married to. And she was very happy to commiserate with me. She was already divorced, so, you know, she she could relate, okay? Um, So, but the thing I realized was when Tim and I made up and things were very sweet, I had left her with a very, very negative impression of my husband, okay? So it's not fair to your husband. It's not fair to your friend or your sister to be denigrating your husband to her, okay? So we need to be very careful. Listen to yourself um, in how you are talking about your husband. Um, In fact, you know, flip it. Try to think of things that you can share that are positive, that you appreciate about him. Um, Let's see. Okay, and which is not to say there isn't a time that you need to talk to somebody, but it's not going to be complaining to your friend you might need to go to an older woman in the church, um, pastor's wife, elder's wife, to talk about and explain what's happening in your marriage. So there is a time and a place um, that it is appropriate to talk to somebody. Um, I have absolutely no idea what time it is. Does anybody? Oh, what time are we supposed to end? Oh, seriously? Wow. Okay, I'm just keep going. Okay, so, you know, submission is just kind of like this big, huge, dramatic and traumatic, you know, the S word it's been called. Um, 
but really, I mean, obviously it wouldn't be a very helpful Christian marriage conference if we didn't talk about it. But I don't want to get, you know, kind of hung up on it. Because I think if you're here, you're primarily considering yourself a Christian wanting a biblical marriage. And so you already uh, agree that submission is a thing, okay, that it's right, that it's in the Bible. Um, Most of us, um, it was in our vows. Well, okay, either Ephesians 5 was read in your ceremony, your marriage ceremony. Um, A lot of people actually vowed to obey um, their husbands in their wedding. Um, But we still often don't really want to think about it. So I will read Ephesians 5, 22 to 25 again, just to refresh ourselves. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should should, should submit to their husbands in everything. So I don't want to, you know, go through the whole explanation of why we should or how it's in the Bible. We're just going to skip through that. And the question becomes, though, okay, but what does it look like? Um, the term uh, be a doormat was like, I don't know, something way back in the 70s when we were first married. Well, you don't want to just be a doormat, um, which is true, you know. We need to be able to um, express our opinions to our husband, so being submissive does not mean not being helpful and not telling him what, um, what you're thinking. But I don't think that the primary issue in this day for women in the church is that we're doormats, okay? Most of us need to be told, just stop. You are talking too much, okay? Your husband already knows all the things that you don't like about him and how you think things should be changed and how he needs to spend more time with the kids and how he needs to do whatever, okay? Sometimes we just need to stop. Um, So back to, you know, just sort of the whole idea of submission, I think a lot of women say, um, well, my husband never tells me what to do. So what's to submit to? Um, And that is, you know, it sort of takes us back to what Tim was talking about last night, which is it really isn't usually an issue of you do this, you know, your husband telling you, you do this, and then you, you know, have to do it, you're going to submit. The issue really becomes more of how do we focus on his preferences and orient ourselves toward what he wants instead of just thinking of it as a, you know, one, two, three, if this, then this. Um, If we are to be a helpmate and companion, um, we want to really just focus on a bigger, bigger thing, really, than submission is just our husband's preferences and how we can um, be helpful to him in that. So one of the things would be, okay, if he has a preference toward certain foods, what is the big deal? Okay, just do it. If he likes it, do it. If he likes it the way his mom made it, do it, okay? So, because I was writing this, I was thinking, huh, okay, Tim really loves homemade baked beans. So the reason I don't do it is you have to start the night before. I'm never thinking about it the night before. You got to soak them all night, okay? Well, there are actually recipes that you don't have to soak them all night, okay? So that's cool. So I made baked beans, I just want you all to know. This week. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Didn't really think I should be telling you. Um, 
what to do if I wasn't going to do it myself. So we will. We will have baked beans more frequently. Right now, I've probably made them once a year. Okay. If, if that. Okay. He would be happy to have them once a week, I'm sure. Because his mother did. So. But anyway, so really think about what it is that your husband wants that you have been um, just annoyed by. You've just been resisting it. And just stop. If he wants it, try to do it. Try to give it to him. Um, So, on the other hand, if your husband is lording over you, you must submit. Okay? That is also a problem. Because he has also been given a mandate to love you and to live with you in an understanding way, okay? So if your husband just has this, you know, heavy concept of, um, you know, very heavy-handed, I'm the boss, I'm the head, I make the decisions, you must do what I want, um, that is also a problem. And that you probably actually need to talk to somebody at church about, okay? Because that is not a healthy marriage either. Um, One of the things, um, just kind of switching gears here, but another thing that can be very helpful to your marriage is friends, that you need girlfriends. And you may have somehow gotten this concept that, you know, you and your husband, you're just, you know, always together and you're each other's best friends. That's actually not healthy. Your husband can't deal with that. (laughs) It's just too much. Um, So lighten up the load on him. And have girlfriends. Um, Tim and I ran into this um, from James Dobson years ago, and he was kind of the big go-to person at the time for um, child rearing and for marriage. Okay, we found him very helpful. And he said, if a woman looks to her husband as the provider of all adult conversation and the satisfier of every emotional need, their marriage can quickly run aground. What can be done then? A woman with a normal range of emotions, needs, emotional needs, cannot simply ignore them. Something deep within her screams for fulfillment. One answer is for women in this situation to supplement what their husbands can give them by cultivating meaningful female relationships. Having girlfriends with whom you can talk heart to heart, study the scripture, laugh and cry, raise your children, can be vital to mental health. So... It may seem weird at a marriage conference to talk about girlfriends. It's helpful, okay? Um, It will actually be a relief to your husband. So I think uh, another thing that has just really become an issue in the last couple years is men working remotely. I don't want a show of hands. How many of your husbands now work at home? Because I know. I'm just going to raise her hand. Uh, (laughs) It can be a problem, okay? I have always been a big believer in men going to work, as in go to work, okay? Don't go to the basement. Don't go to the bedroom. Go to work, you know? As somebody once said, how can I miss you if you never go away? Separation is good. You can be happy to see him at the end of the day. Okay? Now, so I know that this isn't even an option for a lot of men. They really are being told to work remotely, and there isn't anywhere else for them to go. Um, And a lot of the problems can come because they can't get away from the sound of the children bickering and fighting. And they come out, 
usually irritated by the time they come out to deal with this problem. Okay, and then you're irritated with him, and then you're always trying to keep the kids quiet because daddy's at home working, or you know, or literally he's got meetings in the house. People are coming and going for meetings. That's just not good. So, when I was in um, Cincinnati uh, recently, um, my daughter-in-law may or may not have explained this um, frustration that they were having, and so. Um, I did talk to my son. It can be a little dicey to talk to your grown kids about their marriages and lives, but I did it. I was very sympathetic with Heidi. And um, so they, uh, so Joseph and Alex McNeely did, in fact, go and find a workplace somewhere else that they could work. And Danny, I don't know if it was as big a problem in your home, but if it was, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it's just uh, been a problem in the last few years. Fortunately, more and more people are are being allowed to go back to the workplaces now. Um, but again, husbands going to work, good thing. Um, children and discipline. Um, another way that we can be helpful to our husbands is to. Step up your game during the day with the kids, okay? It is not fair to your husbands to have them come home to a chaotic um, house of kids who are disobeying. It is up to you. You're the one at home. During the day, you must be training and disciplining the children during the day, okay? The words, just wait till your father comes home, should not be a thing. Those should rarely be words that ever come out of your mouth, just wait until your dad comes home. Um, because no, if there is something that needs to be dealt with, deal with it. Now, one exception to this might be um, teenagers. Okay, I don't, most of you don't even have teenagers. So someday, maybe you can say those words. Right now, deal with it. If your kids need to be disciplined, trained, do it. Because it's not fair to your husband to expect him to have to deal with everything when he comes home. Um, and Tim was, you know, talking about that last night, that we need to be able to enjoy our children, okay? And if you're not enjoying them, believe me, ain't nobody else enjoying them, okay? <laughs> and we want our children to be enjoyable. Um, and we don't even necessarily think of it. Um, but I guess it was Andy last night that was saying when they came over for dinner, he didn't even know that kids could be quiet and helpful, you know, his whole experience with children was negative. And that is so, so often the case these days. I know, you know, several people who have had the experience of being in a restaurant with their family and having somebody come up and say to them afterwards, wow, that was awesome to see you guys sitting together as a family. Often they'll comment on if you've prayed before the meal, they'll say, you know, saw you pray and it was just sweet to see you and your kids together. So that's the kind of um, example that we want to be setting and not the other, you know, blah, 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 you know, kids screaming and throwing things and dropping things. Just, no, train them. You do, they do not have to be that way. Um, so, um, okay, so yeah, another thing is, yes, we need to be disciplining our kids during the day. A huge other aspect is do not subvert the discipline of the children by your husband. And we always think that we know more, that we know better, 
then our husbands, what our kids need, okay? And we just went through this so many times where um, the kids would be, you know, whining, you know, and there's that, what is it, the bewitching hour, the witching hour, not bewitching, I don't know what it is. But anyway, that hour before dinner where everybody's kind of falling apart and whining and everything. But um, Tim was just like, no, we're not having this, you know. He was disciplining the kids for whining. And I was like, no, 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 it is my fault. I took them shopping today. We were running errands. They missed their nap. (laughs) Um, Or you are the one who let them stay up so late last night. That is why they are fussing right now. Okay. Whatever your excuse is, just stop. Okay. Your husband will make mistakes. You know, it's not to say that he is doing it right, but he is doing something. So just stop trying to correct him and subvert the discipline that he has for your kids. Because in the end, you might be extremely thankful that he did not leave you to your devices. So um, I just cannot say that strongly enough because I just think that is our natural thing is want to jump in and protect our kids from the big mean dad. Um, So just don't do that. Now if, again, caveat, if your husband seriously is abusive or, you know, you're not even really sure. I don't know. This, I'm very uncomfortable with this. You know, you feel like it might be abusive. You yourself might find yourself being abusive. Okay. So in either one of those cases, it is not only fathers that abuse their children, but women often do. And if either of those are true, you need to go talk to somebody and get help for that. Um, but... So also, yeah, that leads to, I'm just kind of trying to, it's like this catch-all grab bag and throwing everything in. <laughs> um, but this other thing, um, I don't know how many of you guys have read um, The Excellent Wife by Martha Peace. Okay. There is a whole chapter in that, I believe it's chapter 14, that tells you as a wife how to confront your husband about sin. Okay. And it's very helpful. And the point being, your husband is not, yes, he is the head of your house, but he is not the final authority, okay? The church and the elders are an authority over your husband. And so if your husband is not willing to respond to your efforts to talk to him about sin, and she is very detailed and tells you really how to, how and when, okay, to approach your husband about his sin. If he refuses to be responsive, um, then she explains how to go to the church and talk to an elder, um, maybe start with an elder's wife, pastor's wife, um, but it might eventually you know, end up with a couple elders talking to your husband. But our husbands are not the final authority. And if they are in sin about something, they need to have the authority over them brought to bear. Um, I read an article um, recently, it's just one of these things that pops up uh, online, about the longest marriage ever recorded. Herbert and Zelmria Fisher had been married for 86 years when Herbert died in 2011. When asked their marriage advice, they wrote, divorce was never an option or even a thought. Respect, support, and communicate with each other Be faithful, honest, and true. Love each other with all your heart. 86 years. And that's, you know, kind of... (laughs) She says, were they married at two? (laughs) 
<laughs> I, think, I think the article did I think they got married as teenagers. But stayed married and faithful for 86 years. Um, so as I'm coming to the end, you know, of all these, you know, hopefully helpful things that I've learned through the years, um, you may just sort of be feeling like, okay, um, but what do I do? Where do I go from here? What is the next thing? And I really think that probably everybody can think of something in your mind that you have been doing wrong, okay? That you have been uh, resenting your husband for, that you have not been um, wanting to give him his preference in an area, um, or that you have been dishonoring him in something. I'm just sure that everybody here must have something in their mind that they know immediately that they should go home and work on and change. And so that's what I'm going to encourage you to just, you know, Elizabeth Elliot has become very well known for saying, do the next thing, okay? So only you know the next thing in your home and in your marriage. But go home and be willing to do that. Whether it is to make his favorite food or to buy new underwear, you know? If your husband doesn't like your ratty old underwear... Throw it away and get new underwear. I'm just telling you. These don't have to be, you know, big, huge things. There are many details in our lives that we know that we should do something different, and we've just not wanted to do it. So go do it. Ask God what you should be doing. Or here's another idea. Ask your husband, okay, what he really does want you to change or do differently. Um, Because our goal is to glorify God, and it glorifies him if we are working on our marriages with the goal of improving them. So that is all I have. And I'd, again, I don't know um, what we want to do from here. Thank you, Mary. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is on. Um, that was so helpful. Ah. One topic that Mary Lee did not discuss yet that I think would be helpful to many of us is the issue of a date night um, or a a regular time in home or out of the home or trips. Um, I know uh, one couple that we invited to come to this conference and didn't end up coming, they uh, said that one of the reasons why it would be difficult for them to come to this was because they had never left their children overnight. Um, which was concerning to me and my husband, but I know that's difficult. I know that can be a difficult thing and for many reasons um, for you. And I think it would be helpful if Mary Lee could share with us about special times with our husbands. Do they plan it? Do we plan it? How often does it happen? Do you do overnights? Do you do trips? Um, what is it like in normal life? Oh, I guess I don't need that. Yeah. Is this on? So again... It is going to look different for every single one of you. You know, it depends on um, where you are in your life circumstances and everything else. But, and I don't think that we should get just too hung up on it because, I, you know, a date night didn't used to be a thing. It didn't exist. My parents did not go on dates. I mean, that would have been a foreign concept. I really think they went out once a year um, to a church dinner Um, So, I mean, it was like, I really remember it because that was how rarely it happened. They did, though, in fact, leave us. Um, There were times when my dad took business trips and my mom joined him. 
on those. So, um, and they were leaving 10 kids at home, okay? So I know that it can be really difficult for us to leave our kids. Um, you were talking about a couple who didn't make it here. I know of a couple who are here who are, have left their kids for the first time. Their five-year-old has never been saying this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so if... I don't know if everybody could hear Lisa, but it's their first time in the 21 years they've been together to go somewhere alone without their kids overnight. So let's give Lisa a hand of applause. (laughs) Okay, so but what she was saying is it wasn't really because they were so hung up on leaving their kids, which I know actually is an issue for a lot of you. You have to be willing to lighten up, okay? Um, now, it can be very difficult to find people to watch your kids, but it, it can be really worth the effort every once in a while to just get out overnight, you know, go check into a hotel. I mean, if we live in, in, in Bloomington, it might be fun to get up to Indy, but it might be okay to just get across town. It doesn't matter, you know, but it is healthy for you guys to just get away every once in a while. But the whole date night thing can be really overblown. Um, it can be costly, of course, for those of you who are on a tight budget. And so then you just think, oh, well, forget it. We can't afford it. You know, you can't afford to go out to dinner, see a movie, pay the babysitter. Um, but there really are ways to spend time together uh, without doing all of that. You can make an effort to put your kids to bed a little earlier Make a special meal together. I know some couples here that do this. Um, watch a movie. Um, and just, there you are at home. And it's okay. And you haven't spent any extra money to do it. So I think the point is to just figure out what is going to work for you and make the effort to do it. Spend some special times with your husband. Do not get hung up on, um, well, I think that my husband should be the one who plans this. You know, it's just like, okay, then fine. You're never going to do it. <laughs> so, you know, initiate it with him. Say, I was thinking maybe we, we could, you know, this Friday night do a special night at home. Or I was thinking maybe, you know, next month we could actually, you know, s- save a little bit of money and go to a hotel for a night. And so-and-so, you know, can babysit. Um, it's okay. You don't have to sit around and wait for your husband and that that's the only way that it makes it meaningful. It is still worth doing even if you're the one who's figuring out how to make it work. So does that help? That's good. Okay. I'm glad. Okay. All right. Okay. Oh, yeah, the the mic, the running mic. Just following up on what you said about your parents not taking date nights, I assume you don't mean that they didn't spend time together, especially, like, at home? Or, like, was that a thing where they're, like, were they intentional about time together at home, even if it wasn't like a th- okay. even if it wasn't called date night? It's like, did they? How did they connect regularly? Because I think it's easy for us to just not ever do anything together, yeah. or, you know, specifically or intentionally. If we okay. don't take a separate, yeah, day, even if it's a home. Anyway, I have no idea what my parents did. Okay, you know, when you're a kid, you don't think about it. But I will tell you this: a few years ago. My sister-in-law said something about my parents having sex on Sunday afternoons. And I'm like, what? (laughs) What are you even talking about? That is so weird. And she said, oh, yeah. 
you know, Peter, my brother, said that they were, you know, in their bedroom every Sunday afternoon. And I'm like, yeah, they were taking naps. (laughs) So, I don't know. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't have enjoyed having sex on Sunday afternoon with all the kids, you know, downstairs running around. But if that's what they did, I don't know. (laughs) What? I know, I know. So I don't know what my parents did, but again, it's like, who cares what my parents did? Think about what works for you, okay? I mean, that was a generation. That was, who knows how many generations ago? You know, they just had a whole different way of thinking about things, so. Yeah, well, and I think the the big overarching point is that the marriage is so important. Yes. And so if we, however we can prioritize our marriages, you know, individually, whatever works for us, it has to happen. Yeah. Because the marriage has to take the priority over life and yeah. kids and everything. Yeah. And that's why people get divorced after 25 years because their last kid just left home. And all of a sudden they realize, I don't even know who you are and I don't like you anyway. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so don't do that. Find things to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> that aren't the kids. Right. <laughs> Well, yeah, interestingly, yes, we do want to talk about things that aren't the kids, but I think it's in the next talk we actually talk about. How to talk about the kids. Yeah, that it's yeah. okay to talk about your kids, too. Good. Good. So. Okay. Anybody else? Any more questions? I'd like to know if you have any more specific advice about keeping up with housework and child care so that we're not too exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there are always improvements that you can make in your systems. And I watched Hannah go through this and and my other daughters and sometimes, you know, some of the other women in the church where they are asking each other and they are reading books and they are listening to podcasts on ways to improve the whole, like, just say, laundry system, okay? And for some people, it has meant... um, Literally, you know, having each kid doing their own laundry on a different day um, and putting their own clothes away. Maybe it means not having them folded. The kids can dump them in their drawer if that's what works. You know, but I'm just saying there really are uh, ways to improve our daily schedule. It's, it, does, it takes the time to stop and think about how to make it happen. Uh, one of our granddaughters recently told her mother, I have an idea. What if we planned ahead and knew what we were going to have for dinner before the day? (laughs) This is a five-year-old. Do Wednesday night. (laughs) 
so I don't know. I mean, we, we are laughing about it because it is such a real issue. But there really are ways to um, improve, and it's going to be different. I know people who have their kids make their own lunches, you know, every morning. Now, I was making lunches for five people at one point in my life. To me, that made more sense. It was way, felt more efficient for me to be making, you know, all the lunches than to have five different people running around the kitchen trying to make their lunches. But, you know, and probably I did that just because my mother did that. But, you know, each family is going to figure out different things that work um, for them. But I think it is definitely worth taking that extra time. The whole idea of planning a menu you know, just feels so overwhelming that we keep putting it off, which means then that every single day you're, you know, in this kind of panic mode of like, I don't know, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? You know, but yes, you know, just stop and you know, maybe sit down with a friend and do it together. Just, you know, figure out what is going to make things run more smoothly and more efficiently in your home. Okay, anybody else? Uh, Amanda. Just to follow up on that question, um, there's Martha Peace in The Excellent Wife. She says, you know, we get pretty caught up sometimes on wanting to have, like, the perfect meal every night. But if your husband comes home and you're serving him peanut butter and jelly for dinner and he knows he's going to get dessert, you know. (laughs) Um, And, like, I always felt like it was a cop-out, you know, to say we're having pancakes for dinner. And my kids loved having pancakes for dinner. So there are ways that we can simplify. Like, we just... Like, not everything has to be Pinterest-worthy, Yeah, you know? And just, we can simplify meals. It doesn't have to be a restaurant-quality meal every night yeah. to make your family happy. Yeah. One funny thing that Joyce Huck has told us, and she grew up where she is. She didn't just grow up Italian. She is Italian. But anyway, so... <laughs> but uh, pasta obviously is a really big deal in the Italian, you know, culture. And after they had been married for a while, um, Wayne said to her, could we have something other than pasta for dinner? (laughs) Well, in her mind, she was making something very, very different each night. You know, whether it's rigatoni or, you know, spaghetti or lasagna, those were very different meals. But in his mind, it was kind of like, we're having a lot of pasta. (laughs) So... But yeah, so whatever your husband's preferences are, what he likes is what you need to think about. Um, And, oh, okay, so this is, somebody had said to me once she was so frustrated because she really did like to cook, and her husband didn't appreciate it. So she was making some really cool, you know, fancy stuff, and he was coming along, he didn't care, he didn't care if they ate hot dogs. Well, that was very frustrating to her. But I pointed out to her that, she should actually be maybe grateful for that aspect because she could still cook for herself and enjoy it, but she was fortunate maybe not to have the kind of pressure from her husband that, you know, he wanted this, 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 and this, and he wanted it made this, this, and this way, you know. So again, depending on how you look at something, it can be uh, positive or negative. A friend of mine was telling me years ago that her husband got up and made breakfast every morning for the kids, every, not every morning, every Saturday morning. They had a very, very nice breakfast that her husband made, and, and she sounded really irritated. So I'm like, what? You know, seriously, that sounds awesome. And she said no, because as he did it, she felt the pressure from him that he really thought 
she should be doing it. And since she wasn't doing it, he did do it, okay? Because that was what they grew up with, was his mother doing this, so he thought this was a thing that should be done, and she was like, this is not a thing, cold cereal is fine. <laughs> but so it brought this tension, you know, that um, he did it, but she didn't think it was awesome. So, um, another thing that I, you know, this just this whole thing about your husband is different, your marriage is different, is just really important. And I learned this another time once when I happened to be in somebody's home when their husband came home from a trip. And so, we, you know, I think that we have, you know, these kind of things that we tell people, this is the right way, this is the right way, this is the right way, okay. But it might not be the right way in your home and with your husband because he came in and he put some, you know, some bags down and he went back out to the car and she just kept talking to me and I was like, this is very awkward, you know. And I finally said to her when he was still out at the car, you know, uh, when your husband comes home from being out of town and from a trip, it would really be good if you greeted him, you know, go welcome him home, give him a kiss and a hug, thinking, you know, I'm just saying the most obvious thing. And she said, hmm, no, not my husband. He, you know, so she had learned what her husband wanted. He did not want to walk in the door and have her, you know, going up and greeting him and the kids all jumping around. His personality was he wanted to get everything in. He just kind of wanted to get, you know, situated, you know, wrap his mind around being home, and then they could, you know, move into that. So what we think might just be really um, the best and only way to do something is not necessarily. So that's just been another thing I've had to learn through the years. What you think is right might not be right for the next person. So I think we have time for one more question. Um, you may have just answered the saying that all marriages and husbands are different. What would be a, a reasonable expectation for husbands helping with kids or things in the home? Like, obviously, that's difficult responsibility yeah. to yeah. divvy up. Um, but I think many of us struggle with knowing what our responsibility is with mm -hmm. them 24-7 mm -hmm. compared to our husbands. Yeah, I mean, it's huge. It's a huge question that I think everybody struggles with to one degree or another. Um, I think, again, in previous generations, um, they didn't struggle with it very much because it was just a very, very given. You know, the men came in from the fields or the men came in from, you know, work. My dad came home at 6 o'clock every night because he took the train home from Chicago, so the train gets there at the same time every day. He walked two blocks home. My mom always knew when he was going to walk in the door. She always had the meal ready. You know, now most of us um, husbands are not on that strict of a schedule. We don't really know when they're going to get home. Um, and, it, and your husband may not care, you know, what time the meal is made. It may be more important to him to have, you know, the house clutter-free or the kids, you know, not running around screaming. Whatever it is that your husband wants to come home to, do that. But Again, then what our expectations are um, of him, you don't want to, you know, meet him at the door and hand him the screaming baby and say, finally, you're home. You know, you do this. I'm tired of it. I've been doing this all day. You know, that is not the way you want to greet your husband. Um, but, you know, we knew somebody in seminary where, you know, the baby literally needed to have their diaper changed and the wife refused to do it because it was the husband's turn. Okay. I mean, so that's obviously ridiculous. Um, so, 
You just have to kind of work it out. But I think as women, if we primarily just um, embrace the idea, this is our job, okay? Most of the housekeeping, we are to be workers at home. Working at work, you know, workers at home um, does not mean that you're just sitting around and <laughs> watching the laundry build up um, or, you know, not getting around to the dishes because you wanted to do something that you thought was more important. Uh, it is really our job to keep the home. And that's not to say that our husbands, you know, aren't going to be helpful. But I think that's the biggest problem that we as women have is that we want things to be more uh, equal. And we just need to be willing to take the primary responsibility in the home, whether it's the home housework or dealing with the, you know, the kids and getting them ready for bed. And, you know, some dads jump in and do the whole bedtime routine, and that's awesome. Um, but if your friend's husband does that and it makes you resentful of your husband, that's not helpful. So, you know, you can encourage your husband. You can explain to him, you know, how it makes you feel that he's more willing to help. Um, and if he's resistant to it, then you just need to deal with your own attitude and not just become bitter toward him. And men also can change. They do. So that's also a good thing. They can get better. <laughs> that's right. That's right. A lot of times when our husbands do do something, then we're running to jump in and correct them. And then you've just negated the whole thing. So don't always be trying to show your husband how to do the whatever correctly. So. Anyway. Okay, well, our next event is lunch in Cook Theater down there at noon. Um, I do want to tell you, though, on your schedule, it says at 2 o'clock is when the third session happens, but we have something really fun planned at 1.30 in here that you won't want to miss, and I don't think it'll take us an hour and a half to eat lunch. So um, at 1.30, try to make your way back here, and we'll have something fun for you. And let's thank Mary Lee. Thank you. All right. Let's go eat. Yeah. <laughs>